You're listening to the Weekly Wrap-Up on Sprott Money News. Hello and welcome back to this week's Weekly Wrap-Up here on Sprott Money News. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford. It's been a crazy week in gold. And who better to have on the line today to discuss these issues, the founder of Sprott Global Companies, Mr. Rick Rule. Good morning, Rick. Thank you for joining us today, sir. Always a pleasure. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. So let's look at China and the LBMA firstly. It was just announced that the Bank of China has joined the LBMA gold fix. Now, we know this is something that was kind of expected when the gold fix was being replaced. But do you think this move will further move the center of gravity for gold price setting to the east? Will it kind of reinforce the connection between Chinese domestic markets and overseas markets? I think it's an acknowledgement that the gold market has already begun to move to the east. The appointment of the Bank of China to the London fix is a welcome and long overdue step to acknowledge China's role in the world gold market and its increasing development as a price maker rather than a price taker in gold markets. I think it's also an acknowledgement of the Chinese state's desire to be a more important player in global currency and commodity flows. You'll notice that concurrent with the appointment of the Bank of China to the London fix that the Chinese have established and are floating a development bank, which will ultimately be collaborators with and competitors with the IMF and the World Bank, which China believes are instruments of U.S. hegemonistic control of the world economy. And I personally believe they're right. I think that the Chinese appointment to the London fix and their growing importance in multilateral institutions is an example of the lessening of U.S. hegemony on global markets. And even as an American, I believe that's a good thing and good for gold, too. Excellent, Rick. Now, moving over to a topic that uh, we've been discussing with Eric, likewise with John Embry as well, too. And it's the idea of the Greece debt crisis. So this week, there was an interesting turn of events uh, within the debt crisis. So the Greek Debt Committee says that they've deemed their debt odious and therefore illegal as the conditions of the loan from the EU and the IMF violated fundamental rights of the Greek people. So do you think this is yet another ploy to prolong the inevitable? How do you think this will play out, Rick? Yes, of course. The Greek political establishment uh, understands that prior Greek administrations took debt on terms that the society couldn't afford to pay and paid the money out to Greek elites. In other words, the money's gone. It's been stolen. The debt is unserviceable. Um, The Greek response to that, of course, has been that the rest of the world needs to continue to subsidize the lifestyle of the Greek administration and the Greek elites. The sooner this farce is over, the better. People who bought the debt of an over-encumbered society deserve what they get, and they're going to get it good and hard. There needs to be a default, and there needs to be a write-down of 50 or 60% of the principal of that debt, if not more. Uh, that will have a couple of consequences. It will strain the odd balance sheet, but most of that debt has already been socialized. In other words, it will be paid for by the European taxpayer. And Greece will be frozen out of capital markets for a while, which is great because level, that will reduce the pace of theft in the Greek system. As for its impact on the Eurozone, my belief is very different from Eric and John Embry's belief. My belief is that the private sector uh, 
has had three and a half years to prepare for a Greek default, and they've done a wonderful political job shifting the burden of the default from their own private sector balance sheets onto the backs of taxpayers in the Eurozone. Another classical political example of privatizing benefit and socializing risk. So I think that any impact that a Greek default would have on world financial markets, in particular on the uh, on the global gold market, would be psychological as opposed to fundamental. Uh, my understanding is that Greece represents about two and a half percent of Eurozone GDP, and that uh, Greek obligations represent similarly about three percent of the assets of the Eurozone. And if we had a reduction in the principal on that debt of 50%, uh, while it wouldn't be pleasant for the bag holders, the bag holders are in fact the citizenry and taxpayers of the Eurozone, an already long-suffering constituency who would see Greek default as being a psychological rather than a pocketbook issue. So Rick, moving along, let's leave Greece. Let's go to India now. So India plans to issue gold bonds to curb imports of the metal, and yet another attempt to repair the country's account deficit. So Rick, do you think that their idea of reducing the demand for physical gold and providing an opportunity to buy gold bonds will aid them in their plight? I don't know the answer to that, but I put that same question to some Gujarati uh, clients of mine, some Indian clients of mine. And they said that the reason that they own gold is because they don't trust the government of India. So the idea that they would replace as a savings instrument, uh, an instrument that they own as a consequence of the fact that they don't trust the proposed issuer, is of interest. You know, the gold has existed as a as a rather unique store of value for a long time because it's one of the the only mediums of exchange that is simultaneously a store of value. An Indian government bond is a promise to pay from the same issuer as the rupiah. People own physical gold and silver in India because they don't trust the center. Now, I suspect that the Indian government may be able to issue gold bonds to state-owned banks, and they may even be able to twist the arm of some private sector banks to buy the strange specie. But I think part of the cultural predisposition to gold and silver that you see in South Asia, in the Middle East, and in the Far East is due to the fact that these these countries, these populations, have centuries of experience with the nature of government. And of course, we all know that the nature of government is simply to steal. If your belief in holding gold and holding silver is that it's a way to protect you against the depredation of the government, why would you buy a government-issued instrument in order to obviate that? That makes no sense to me. Very good point, Rick. So, Rick, let's keep in line with gold. Um, I think we've kind of hit a point here that uh, many have been waiting for. We've just seen gold futures hit the $1,200 technical level on the COMEX, which is the largest rally since May 22nd. So what do you think this means for gold? Do you think things will start to look more bullish in the near future, or how do you think things will turn out, Rick? Uh, you know, I've been, I've been in the business too long to be tricked into an answer to that. Uh, you, you can certainly get one out of Eric. What I can tell you is that watching gold in the very short term is an exercise in elation or frustration, depending on what happens in the short term. Uh, 
This is what I can tell you. Gold has more upside than it has downside. And if I had to guess, I'd suggest that the part of the past that is prologue is the year 2000. You may not remember because you may be too young, but many of your listeners and viewers will remember that in the year 2000 and 2001, for that matter, gold was doing very poorly in U.S. dollar terms, but was engaged in a stealth bull market in all other currencies, precisely the situation that we've seen over the last 14 months. Gold has fulfilled its its role if you are a saver in rupiah, in remnimbi, in reales, in pesos, Uh, It hasn't fulfilled its role if you are a saver in U.S. dollars. Beginning in 2001, of course, gold and the U.S. dollar rose simultaneously against other mediums of exchange. And in 2002, the dollar rolled over while gold kept on rocketing. The circumstance that that is in place now, I believe, is the same set of circumstances that was in place in 2000. And while I'm not certain that gold will repeat the epic run it had in 2000, where it went from $252 an ounce to $1,900 an ounce, a seven-fold move, I would suggest to you that gold in the three- to five-year time frame is substantially higher rather than lower. Does this mean that gold couldn't test 1100 or even 1000 between now and then? The answer to that, of course, is yes. But most rational people, if confronted with a proposition of an investment that could lose 10 or 20% on its way to a 50% or 100% or 200% move, would say, particularly if the move were a probability rather than a possibility, that's a wonderful juxtaposition of risk to reward. And that's what gold investors need to think about. The second thing I think that gold investors need to think about is they need to think about the efficacy of the competing financial instruments in two fashions. One, that the benchmark world savings instrument right now is the U.S. 10-year treasury, which pays you 2.2%. And I would tell you that 2.2% adjusted against the anticipated official inflation rate for the United States, which is 1.6%, suggests that the U.S. government absolutely promises to pay you six-tenths of 1% per year for your savings for 10 years. Jim Grant has called that return-free risk. It's important to think about that because the alternative to gold as part of the world savings matrix is the U.S. 10-year treasury, which is not in and of itself a particularly attractive instrument anymore. The second related thing that gold investors need to think about is that the holding costs associated with owning gold are lower for the same reason. Seven years ago, when the U.S. 10-year treasury yielded 65 or 7%, your cost to hold gold was the avoided interest that you could earn by owning the treasury, 65 or 7%. 2.2% is much less attractive than 65 or 7% was. So for those reasons, the lack of attractiveness of the competing obligation and the lack of cost associated with owning gold, I suspect that the direction of gold relative to its competitor is up. Well, Rick, we really appreciate your insight here on the weekly wrap-up, and we really hope we can speak to you in the near future. Thank you for joining us today, Rick. Delighted to be with you. Thanks for the call. And to our listeners, thank you for listening. This is Jeff Rutherford for the weekly wrap-up here on Sprott Money News. Have a great weekend.